0: I've got some wee leaflets at the end uh, of the talk today If you want to take it uh, home with you, that's fine um, We're going to look at Mark's, is Matthew's Gospel rather, chapter 13 We'll be looking at this uh, passage of scripture over the next four weeks Today and the next three weeks after today So we're going to be looking very much at the parable of the sower so let's just uh, read uh, part of that chapter thirteen, beginning at verse one. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it. And while all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, and saying, "A farmer went out to sow his seed." Other seed fell in good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Over in verse 18, then we read these words. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And the one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. I pray that God will really bless his word to All of our hearts into his name be the praise and the glory. Let's just have a prayer as you remember situations in the world today. We pray loving God for the situation in Indonesia and American Samoa and the other Samoa as well. This tsunami and this earthquake has devastated so many lives and communities. And we just pray, loving God, for the Church of Christ in these areas as the churches seek to reach out with help. But we pray especially for those who have lost many of their family members because of this terrible earthquake and disaster. We ask you, Lord, to minister your comfort and your strength into their hearts. Then we hear this morning, Lord, about seven or eight American soldiers who have been killed all at once. We ask your loving God to be with their families and that the situation in Afghanistan, we just pray for an end to that war, that something may happen, your mighty intervention, that we bring that whole situation to a conclusion, that we might see these soldiers coming home to their wives and to their families. And so we ask you, loving God, to to be with our own nation at this time. As all these political parties make their statements and make their promises, we ask you, Lord, to lead them to the righteousness of God's word and help them, Lord, to present something that comes from you and that will be of lasting benefit to the nation. Loving God, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches in these days. And we pray, Lord, too, for those who are serving you overseas, for your missionaries, for those, Lord, who have heard the call of God to serve in other lands. We thank you for those who have come along here and spoken, The, the chap and his wife from Ghana. We ask a blessing upon them because it was so well received as to what you were doing through his life and through that area. And we pray for Chris and Karen too, that you would help them and minister to them as they seek to bring your word in Spain and America and New Mexico, wherever it might be, Lord, will you give them much success. So we ask you, loving God, to help us to come to the word of God afresh today. Take away the things that would distract us and help us to concentrate on you and to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you were actually brought up in a very... Can I just pull this down a wee bit? This, um, how do I do that? I've got it, I've got it, that's fine. Okay, you've <laughs> I don't know how many of you were really brought up in the country, but Eileen was brought up in a place called La Manca, or La Mancha. It's named after a Spanish, a Spanish town or something like that. And I mean, it's just, when I first met her, it was one house way out in the country. And uh, there wasn't much else. But now there's other houses that have all been built all around about where she lives. But she was a bit more countryfied than I was. I was brought up in Blackbridge Village village of about two thousand people, and it was fairly, it was fairly village country life there, but not as country as, as Ireland was. So when we go out in the car. As well as Eileen watching my speedometer. I've got a talking, a, a talking speedometer in the car. <laughs> nowadays. But as well as that, she looks on the fields and she constantly remarks on, well, there's the, there's the harvest and that's the hay in that field. Or other fields she'll say, well, we better get that in pretty quick or it's going to be destroyed by the rain. She's always interested in what's happening there in the countryside. This is the time of the year where people think about harvest. In fact, we have lots and lots of harvest festivals taking place. There's one taking place in the the parish church where Annie lives this very Sunday. There was a harvest uh, meal was being laid on last night in the church there through at West Linton. And so you find that lots of places, uh, churches are full of fruit and vegetables. And there's these harvest thanksgiving that we find in in the services. So harvest is an important time. It's a, a time to give. God thanks for the produce of the field and there are children today who still believe it all comes from the supermarket (laughs) they don't actually realise just how it's grown and what's happening in the farms but I'm sure the schools are trying to sort that out and to put them right as to where the food actually comes from to begin with and if you were to ask yourself this question what is God looking for in my life The answer the Bible gives is very clear. The Bible says he's looking for the fruit. It's not just a decision he's looking for. It's not just some Bible knowledge or some degree in Bible knowledge. He's actually looking for fruit to be produced in your life and mine. And that comes through very clearly in John's Gospel, chapter 15, where we find there that that Gospel says there, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you uh, to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and then the Father will give you whatever you ask in mind. That's John, chapter 15, and verse 16 and the same is true of another parable that Jesus told in Luke's Gospel 13 verses 6 and 9 he told this parable a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit in it but did not find any so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree haven't found any cut it down why should it use up the soil sir the man replied Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. And it seems that the owner of this vineyard is saying, well, don't, don't cut it down yet. Three years, it hasn't been producing anything. Just, just keep it as it is, because maybe it will produce the fruit. And again and again in God's word, we get this story that, really, the Lord is looking for the fruit, of our salvation the root of our salvation is faith in Christ but the Lord is looking for the fruit of that salvation and again you find in, in Galatians chapter 5 the story there 22-23 you, know, t- t- you all know so well but the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control and against such things there is no law but you know you can't get very far in the Bible Without it's saying to you, what about the fruit? What have you got to show for your experience of salvation, for your walk with the Lord in the light of his word? What have you got to show for your journey in the Christian pathway? And that's why this parable of the sower is so important to us. This is a story that would have caught the ears of the community because you well know, I'm sure you will know this as well as I do, that the community that Jesus lived and worked among was an agricultural community. They knew about the land. They knew the importance of harvest and the crops and they gave God thanks. They had their own harvest festival. Pentecost was a harvest festival in which they gave God thanks. Thanks. And that's why this parable is just so important to it. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking in depth at this parable of the sower and what it has to teach us. It would be more accurate to think of this parable not so much as the parable of the sower, but it should be called the parable of the soils. It's all about the different soils. And the receptivity to the seed that's sown upon these soils. It's the parable of the soils. So there are three S's in this parable. A preacher's dream, I suppose, at the end of the day. But I'm not going to be using this. But there's the sower, there's the seed, and there's the soils. The three S's in the parable. So who is the sower? I think the answer is quite clear in the parable. I think Jesus Christ is the sower. But I also believe it includes his messengers. His messengers are also the ones that sow the seed. Because we find in Corinthians, Paul says, I sowed, a polis watered, but God's the one who gives the increase. So Jesus is the sower and also the messengers. What is the seed? I think it's safe to say that the seed here is the message of the kingdom. Jesus actually mentions that in the interpretation of the parable later on in Matthew chapter 13. You might be interested to know this is the only parable of Jesus in the Bible where Jesus gives the interpretation. There are no other parables where Jesus actually interprets the parable but this one certainly falls into that caricature. So what do we learn from this parable in Matthew chapter 13? The first thing that we learn is the sower is generous with the seed the sower is generous with the seed his eagerness to get the seed out means that it goes in all different directions now of course didn't have the modern implements that we have today in the first century Palestine the sower would have a around, just remember think of a bucket lid upside down and be a cord going to each side and, and the sower got out in the field with this thing in front of him and he would put his hand in this way and hand in that way and he got in the field scattering the seed with this kind of a bucket lid upside down kind of thing and that's what they would do and this generosity and the grace of the sower comes through very powerfully at the beginning of this parable he sows the seed and he scatters it, says Jesus, in all different directions. And I must admit, that was not always something I looked at when I came to this parable, the sower. I was so keen to get into the, the different soils that Jesus mentioned in the parable that I really passed by the grace and generosity of the sower. I don't want you to make the same mistake as I did, I want you to see that, that the sower is so gracious and so generous. And maybe that challenges us as to how keen we are to scatter the seed, to scatter the message of the kingdom. Is it not true to you say that we believe that we know which patch is going to be productive? Or which patch is not going to be productive. We, we seem to know that, we say to ourselves, where there's going to be growth. We know where there's going to be growth. But do we? Is that our prerogative? To know where there's going to be growth and where there's not going to be growth. Paulus says, I sowed Paulus water. It's God who gives the increase. And it's God who knows where that productive patch there was going to be. And sometimes we say, that, well, there's no use of, of sowing in that patch there. It didn't yield much last year. It's not going to yield anything this year. And yet there's that other parable in Luke's Gospel that said, just leave the vine alone for another year, three years without nothing, but maybe next year there's going to be something coming from that year." Okay. So you have this tremendous missionary emphasis there. In this part, the farmer scatters the seed in the hope that where there's an unproductive area, that nearby the unproductive area, there's going to be good ground. Don't worry, sir. Don't worry about it. I just put mine off a wee while ago. But <laughs> nearby the unproductive area, there's going to be some good ground there. And that's what we don't realise sometimes. That there may be an area that we say, "Well, that is not productive." That is useless today in putting the message of the kingdom there. But nearby, there's a soul that needs to hear that. Nearby, there's going to be some fruit alongside that unproductive patch. And that's the message that Jesus is giving out. And that's the kind of thing that, that Jesus lived out in his life. I mean, the Jews would have said to Jesus, there's no use giving the message of the kingdom to the Samaritans. They're a bad lot. <laughs> They're a mixed race. Half Jews, half the they have no use. And the they were said to Jesus, there's no use in the, touching the Gentiles. Forget about these Gentiles, these non-Jews. They are dirty. They're, they're not for God at all. They're pagan. There's no use putting the message there. And yet Jesus said to a, a centurion, I have not seen such faith in the whole of Israel. And he was a Gentile. And you see, the Jews thought, we know where there's productive patches. But Jesus thought otherwise. There's something wonderful here about the grace and the generosity of the sower. And perhaps we are not as generous with the seed as Jesus was. Or Jesus means the church to be. And the very fact that that seed's been scattered and all these different soils just speaks of his grace. Just speaks of how generous he really is. That's the first important lesson I want you to learn the generosity and the grace of the sewer. But here's the, the second important lesson we need to learn, and that is the instant results are not what the sewer is looking for. He's not looking for instant results because what we see here in the seed if the sower is generous and gracious what we find here about the seed there's meant to be growth and fruitfulness. And sometimes we want it all to happen very quickly. It's only children, isn't it, who plant seed and then wake up the next morning and look for the seed to come sprouting through the earth. But that's not what actually happens in life. In fact, in this parable, the seed that actually grows very quickly is unproductive. Quite interesting. The seed that grows very quickly in this parable is unproductive. And what we find in Scripture, that there, there were those who came to salvation and were healed in a very instantaneous and powerful way. And we give God thanks for that. But there are others in the scriptures and it took a bit longer full like Nicodemus but that was Joseph of Arimathea they were secret disciples until it came to the cross of Jesus And perhaps it takes a while, I'm sure it takes a while in your life and mine to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're referring to here is growth and fruitfulness. If the believer is to grow, there needs to be time to feed on the Word of God, time to prune away everything that we don't need for growth. We don't need all the leaves. And the Lord teaches us in John 15 that there has to be a pruning process to get the fruit that He we, we wants to see in our lives. And I suppose, you know, when I was a, a young Christian, I wanted all the answers right away. And there was this uh, lovely Christian chap who stayed in the housing he stayed that I was in. And we used to get the same bus. He was going to when I was going to Armadale. We would get the same bus. Willie's name was. And I was sitting in the bus with Willie, asking him all sorts of questions. I think he was getting a wee bit fed up with all the questions I was asking him about the faith. I, I was anxious to get answers right away. He says, he says, take it one day at a time, one step at a time. And of course, sometimes I would turn around to talk to Willie and, and Willie wouldn't be there. He'd get up and some other woman would be there and this happened so often he would get up and, and I, would, I, I always took the window seat so I wouldn't have to do that kind of thing <laughs> but anyway he was always getting up to give somebody a seat and Willie would be there and Willie wouldn't be there and then sometimes in those days you had these return bustings you remember the wee thing, the wee hole maybe you don't remember that you shoved them in and a wee handle was turned you know? and you got the same ticket for coming back the way well if he was coming back the way and the conductor didn't get to him He took the ticket and he tore it up. He wasn't going to use the ticket the next day just because the conductor had not received his ticket. He got the journey, he he just tore up the ticket. And, And although I didn't learn all the answers to my questions by the things that Willie said, I just watched his life. And I learned so much by this Christian, the way he would get out of his seat and give other people a seat and the way that he wouldn't use the same ticket the next day because it wasn't taken by the conductor. I learned so much. And that if there's got to be time for growth Time for the teaching of his God's word. Time for the pruning away of the things that we don't really need. Well, Let's get to the first kind of soil then that's mentioned this. But you'll see it there in Matthew 13, verses 3 and 4. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. If you look further in verse 19 of chapter 13 of Matthew, you'll get the interpretation which says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now I need to try and help you to picture what farming was like in the first century. What happened was, each man, or each farmer in a way, was given a long strip of land. And to the right and the left of his strip of land was a path, a footpath, path. And that became a right of way for people to walk up and down beside these strips of farmland. And of course, as you well know, the more people walked up and down these strips of land to the right and the left of your strip, it became hard. It can be very hard indeed. And so what you find here, uh, in this uh, little path there, this ribbon of ground, uh, between each path was this, this pathway of about three feet or maybe a meter or so, you find that that seed, that ground was really, really hard. And in this parable, the seed gets onto that path. He goes on to that path. And so what we have here is a completely unproductive area, quite unresponsive to the message. That's what Jesus is implying here, that the seed is going on to an area that is quite unproductive to the message of the kingdom. That particular area, nothing to show for it. But the first thing we want to say is that it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always hard ground. It became hard by the pounding of people's feet again and again up that path and down that path. It wasn't always hard. It was people that made it hard. Or the feet of people that made it hard. That people kept pounding on that path and made it hard. And perhaps this parable is saying to us what is it that pounds a hardened path in your heart and in mine? What are the influences that come upon us that impact our minds and our hearts? Are they hardening us against God? Do they compound and and compress my convictions about Jesus Christ? And I have to tell you there are many things in life that are seeking to do that for us. When you think of the mass media today and the kind of message that's coming through and the kind of things, and the adverts, whatever it might be on the mass media, it's seeking to pound a hardened path in the hearts and minds of many people in the world. And it may be their influence is also coming into the hearts and minds of Christians today. What is hardening us against our God? Who do we hang out with? What kind of people do we hang out with? What kind of things do we watch on television? Is it the soap operas? And, and you have to come to the conclusion, well, I'm so glad that life isn't like that. Although lot people argue all the time. And all the things that go on in the soap operas. And we have to ask ourselves, why it's so important to have fellowship with believers? Because I really need to be in the company of those who soften my heart. I need to be in the Word of God, where I can learn about a God of love, who breaks up that hardened ground with the plough of his love and care. And so we find that in the scriptures there are those who have hardened their hearts against God. In fact, in the Word of God we find there in Proverbs chapter twelve and verse fourteen verse twelve there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. I was talking to a lady just last Sunday and I, I couldn't get over what she was saying to me. I, I should know that this happens anyway. Her husband has just left her and he's taken off with somebody else. She's heartbroken. And she said, you know, I like what I can't get over. He thinks it's the right thing to do. I've met so many couples that have separated and gone off with other people and they would turn around and tell you face to face I believe it was the right thing to do folks that's never ever the right thing to do while you're married to take off with some other woman or some other man as it may be that's never the right thing to do and yet you get folks saying well I, I just believe it was right as if, as if the Lord had actually told them at the end of the day And so we have this pounding of the heart, this hardness of the heart, coming even into Christians who even think that the wrong thing is the right thing. How careful we have to be in the Christian pathway. And the tragedy is that the patterns of worldly thought and philosophy can beat their way into our lives. There's a way, says Proverbs, that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. That's the influences from outside us. The the mass media, the people that we hang out with, the books that we read, the things that we watch on television can all contribute to impacting the, the worldly ways in our own hearts and minds. But what about the influences from within us? What about inside of us? And the Bible teaches us that we're all sinners. If you're a Christian, you're a sinner saved by grace. And the Bible teaches us also there are things that are within us that can harden us in our hearts and minds. And one of them is a closed mind. A closed mind where we, we don't want to hear anymore. And these situations I was just telling you about that, that girl uh, concerned about her husband. It's the kind of situation if you're going to the husband he wouldn't want to hear. He wouldn't even want to know what you had to say. I remember, I'll never forget it, a girl in our church in Buckhaven. And she split up a family. She took off with the janitor of the local school. So he was, the wife was left with the family while this young girl in our church takes off with the janitor. Well, I managed to get a hold of her. I said, would you like to come and, and, and speak to me? So she came. And she sat in the, in the vestry of the church without a word of a lie she sat there smiling and laughing I was, I was, as I was bringing a serious word to the Lord, she sat there with a grin on her face and I said to myself your mind is closed you're not willing to receive the teaching of God's word you've been in the church I remember the church for a good number she sang with a group I said what in the world are you doing? and she sat there grinning and laughing at me as I was giving a very serious talk to her about what things were doing, made no difference. And that there's a closed mind can come into our hearts as well. It reveals a closed mind. You know what happens in the scripture? There are in the Old Testament, and it's so sad. It says in Hosea chapter 4 and 17 Ephraim, that's another term for Israel, of the whole nation of Israel. And it's going to be personified in one of the sons of uh, Joseph. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Imagine God saying to a nation, they're joined to idols. Just let them alone. There's no use talking to them. Their mind is closed. I always remember my principal at the college saying, you know, there's something worse than hatred. If you hate somebody or you hate something, there's an emotion involved. He says the worst thing of all, the worst sin is indifference. If you are indifferent, there's no emotion. You don't feel a thing. You couldn't care less about this one or that one. There's just no feeling whatsoever there and you find that in the scriptures again Romans chapter 1 is one of these places where God gave them up or God gave them over in Romans chapter 1 and we find in verse 24 therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another three times in Romans chapter 1 God gave them over God allowed them to do all the things they wanted to do with their bodies it just seemed that their mind was closed. They were no longer listening to God. And here in this story of the, the parable of the sower, we're dealing with people who have a closed mind, who are not willing to listen to reason, to listen to God's word. And that is a terrible stage to come to, where I can sit beside a girl, a member of the church, a singer, and say, this is wrong. And she's laughing at me. That is a closed mind. That is a closed mind. And folks, that can happen in church life. And we want to say, Lord, whatever you do, may I never be closed to what you're saying to us by the Holy Spirit. Never be closed. And that kind of thing can happen. Three times in Romans I say there's that closed mind. And number two is it also reveals itself, this this hardness of the ground. It reveals itself internally, not only in a closed mind, but also in pride and arrogance. I know it all. I know it all. you met people like that? I've met people like that. You can't teach them anything because they, they, really, they really know all about it. Oliver Cromwell was talking about the Scots. I had a real hard time with the Scots. He says this about the Scots. I beseech you, he says. It's an old test, old language. I beseech you by the bowels of Christ. Remember the mercies of Christ. Think it possible that you may be mistaken. <laughs> he thought the Scots, you know, always, they always knew it all. Just think it might, be, it might be possible that you might be mistaken, says Oliver Cromwell. D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. He sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. And we can become arrogant ourselves. We can come to that stage, well, I, I really know it all. You don't have to tell me anything. And all the time this arrogance and this pride is pounding a hardness of heart in our minds and hearts. How careful we have to be, even as believers. You think this message is only for those who are outside of the church. But it's not really. Because we can be hardened to the things that God wants to do and say in our hearts and minds. It's so important. Jose, the Jose Cubero, is that the way you pronounce it? I don't know if it's the or right, not. Chrissy's not here, so I can mispronounce it any other way. José Josebero was one of Spain's most brilliant matadors. He was killed by a bull in 1985. His last words were, Pale, this bull has killed me. He was only 21 years of age. He'd been enjoying a spectacular career. However, in 1985. He made a tragic mistake. When the delirious bull collapsed, he felt sure the struggle was finished. And he turned his back to the crowd to receive their applause. But the bull wasn't finished. While his back was turned to the bull to receive this wonderful applause, the bull got up and with its horns lunged into his back and punctured his heart and he died. And it's sometimes said, as we turn our back to receive the applause of the crowd, beware that pride can lunge into your back and destroy the good that's in your life. Pride and arrogance pounding a hard path in people's lives. And so we find that what the scripture is actually saying, Jesus in that interpretation in Matthew 13, 19 says, they did not understand. It wasn't because they knew all at all. Jesus makes it clear in Matthew thirteen nineteen, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil, evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Not only are we influenced by the things outside of us, the mass media, the people that we meet with, the things that we watch and read, but we're influenced by the things from within us. A closed mind, an arrogant and proud heart. And how significant are the words? Snatches away what is sown in his heart. Notice these words, in his heart. Because this parable it's about the heart it's about the heart and here's the evil one snatching away what has been sown in his heart because that heart is hardened that heart is unresponsive maybe the note we need to finish on this not has the seed reached out to your hardened heart that's not the note I want to finish on the note I want to finish on this morning or this afternoon is this Is your heart in it? Is your heart in it? Is your heart in the word of God? Is your heart in the work of the church? Is your heart in this church? Where's your heart today? It says in the book of Proverbs, a a lovely verse of scripture. My son could be my daughter. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. And here's the glorious news. That ground that was hard wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. It only became like that because of the pounding feet of people up and down that path. It wasn't always like that. And here's the other bit of glorious news. It doesn't have to remain like that. It doesn't have to remain like that. There's such thing as the the plough of God's love and power. Turning over the soil to the Jew of heaven, the Holy Spirit himself. That God can turn over any hardened heart and expose it to the Jew of heaven, the Holy Spirit himself. He can do it for me. He can do it for you. No matter how hard you might feel against the things that God's trying to get through to you. God can really soften our hearts. It's a wonderful path, was not it? It's amazing the things that you can learn even from that first section. The unproductive soil. The unproductive heart. Don't miss next week's exciting chapter on the next soil. Let's have a prayer. We give you thanks, Father, for the things that we're learning today. The grace and the generosity of the sower. Sowing into areas that might be unproductive. But nearby, there is a ground that receives the seed. Lord, help us not to be the ones to choose what is productive and unproductive. Help us to sow the seed, others to water it, but you are the one that gives the increase. Show us, Lord, how to scatter that seed with the generosity we find here in that of the sower. And Lord, will you help us those influences from without our lives outside of our lives that would pound a hardness in our lives help us those influences within us that closed mind that pride and arrogance that that we think we know it all and just humble us give us a humble heart and help us to know that Jew of Heaven the Holy Spirit our teacher and our guide leading us forward in Jesus name we pray Amen.